I um, had to figure out a lot of things on my own. Um, I tell people at times, I feel like Google was my uh, or advisor or mentor or support person because I didn't have that one stable person there that I could always talk to. This is the Foster Movement Podcast, helping you work with others to provide more than enough for kids and families in foster care where you live. Here are your hosts, Jason Weber and Diego Fuller. Hey, this is Jason Weber. Welcome to the Foster Movement Podcast. I'm here with Diego Fuller. Hey, Diego, how are you doing today? How you doing, Mr. Jason? You doing all right? I'm doing all right. Hey, man, I have a question. So the other day, my sister got married, right? And so uh, I had to Google, I'm a grown man, and I had to Google how to tie a tie so I can be able to go to the wedding looking a little nice, looking decent, looking good, you know. And so, uh, but I had to Google how to tie a tie, and after I, I seen it and tied my tie, I felt a little silly about it. And so um, I have a question for you. Have you ever had to Google anything where you felt silly about it after Googling it? Well, I, I did have to Google how to boil eggs one time. An egg? <laughs> Well, yeah, it's it's not as easy as you think if you want to boil it right and you want it to taste right. So we were right. boiling eggs for, for Easter, you know, to color them okay. and everything. But, but you know, if you boil them too long, they can I guess they can kind of turn green on the inside. They get overboiled and then right. they don't taste as good, which boiled eggs don't taste good to me anyway. But um, so, just trying to look so out Google for the family. Had, so Google had all the information on it. Oh, about, they, they had it egg. all. Yeah, you got to boil them. You get to the boiling point and then you turn it off. And then you leave them sit for 10 minutes. See, my whole life, I always thought that you just put water in a little pot and you just drop the egg in there and let it boil until it's finished. This is complicated stuff, <laughs> man. It's complicated to boil an egg. Yeah. Oh, man. What made me think about that is uh, I heard this interview you done with Jessica Francis. And, man, uh, the story about her having Google as a mentor, it really touched me. Because I know there's a lot of foster kids out there that, that Google stuff, you know. And for her to have Google as a mentor, I was like, man, it, it just it, it, it struck a chord with me. And so how did that make you feel as you was interviewing her and heard that from her? Yeah, it, it really struck a chord with me as well to think that here's this young woman who uh, is – Going out, um, leaving the foster care system, mm-hmm. about to go to college, which is uh, fantastic. And um, she was raising uh, her child, and she didn't know who to call. She didn't have anyone wow. to call and ask questions about raising her son. So she turned to Google, and, and she describes Google as her mentor. It was wow. powerful. Wow. So many things about what Jessica had to share in that interview were powerful, and I can't wait for our listeners to, to hear from her. So let's let's go to that interview. So I'm here with Jessica Francis here in San Antonio, Texas. Hello, Jessica. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. So Jessica, you came into foster care when you were 12 years old. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yes, sir. Um, I have an older sister, younger brother. Um, My dad was incarcerated at the time that we entered care. Um, I'm not sure what the call was as to why we were removed from my mother. Um, But, you know, we we were were removed. Um, My brother and I, I remember we were taken out of, he was taken out of school. Um, I was with my cousin and I remember them picking me up. And from there we went to a, one of the children's shelters. And, um, I I remember just like myself, I was the one that was kind of quiet and holding everything in, sad and depressed. <clears throat> Whereas my brother would he would um he would he acted out the opposite way, um, more so in a angry way. Um but we were there for a few months and then I I, I remember one day me and him being in the back 
the back um, the backyard where they have like a playground and stuff. And I was sitting on the swings, and he was you know standing by me, and we were kind of talking. And we of course we were sad because we missed our mother. And I'll, I'll just never forget just sitting there, just being really I felt alone, alone, and we we just wanted to go back home, and we couldn't because the situation was out of our control. So, did you guys? stay in foster care together no um we did not we were the only time we were together was when we were first removed in in that shelter so take us into that feeling of do you remember when you were first told that you would be placed somewhere different from your brother i they actually didn't tell me um that we weren't ever going to be placed together i they they just just dealt with it um but when I remember when they told me I was going to be going into a foster home, um, I, I actually got to meet the my foster mom and we went out to dinner and stuff. But from there, I kind of got the idea that we probably weren't going to be placed together just because he wasn't with me meeting her. Um, but I just, you know, assumed that it wasn't going to happen just because of how he was acting and how I was acting. But it, it didn't feel good knowing that we weren't going to be living together after we were already took away from my mom and were used to each other because we were born and raised together up until that point. So, Diego, I wanted to stop the interview there for just a second and ask you about some things that she said, because here was this girl who was taken into foster care, Mm. and she didn't know why. Right. And she was placed in a a placement separate from her brother, and she didn't know why. Mm. It wasn't explained to her. Now, you spent time in foster care. You went into the foster care system at eight or nine years old. Yes, sir. So when you hear her talk about that, how does that strike you? I mean, it's, it saddens me uh, to hear that she went into foster care and had no idea why, why she was going into it. Of course, I knew why I was going into foster care, you know, uh, but that she didn't have no idea of why she was going, man, it saddens me. And I just can't fathom uh, what she was thinking at the moment, what, she, what was going through her mind, how she was feeling. And, uh, and I just, I just I, it's, it saddens me to even, even to hear that. Yeah, you know, and one of the things that she goes on to talk about uh, here is that uh, she was she was only in one placement. Now that's unusual right. for kids in foster exactly. care. So she does talk about her gratefulness for mm-hmm. that. Let's let's listen to that. I was only in one, and I think that helped out a lot with my growth and becoming into an independent independent adult because I had some stability. Was adoption something you thought about? They asked me if I wanted to be adopted, and I didn't. Um, and, and it's different for everyone, but my reason behind it was there was really no reason to. Um, I was I was a, a older a older kid as I, or a young adult, and I, I was able to process it, and I just didn't see no reason to get adopted. Um, just because I did still have a relationship with my mom, it was it was a healthy one. I didn't see her as much as I would have liked to. And do you still have a relationship with your mom? You see her. My mom, <clears throat> excuse me. My mom passed away about. Maybe about seven years ago, but up until then, we did have a really close relationship. Like I said, we didn't see each other all the time, but we would talk, and I knew she loved me. She always loved me and cared about me, but I've always been really close to my biological mother. I think so many kids who have experienced foster care feel feel that very same way. Um, Though you don't remember there being any abuse, um, Mm -hmm. even for kids who have experienced severe abuse, Mm -hmm. they are still, that's still their mom. Yeah, they're and they're used they're used to it. Like sometimes we don't think anything's wrong because that's what we were born and raised in. We're used to it. Um, but like I said, I don't like compared to a lot of other foster youth. Um, some of the traumatic things that they've experienced and went through, I I feel very blessed and fortunate that I didn't have to deal with a lot mm-hmm. of those things. Mm-hmm. 
So when you were aging out of the system, do you remember what that transition was like for you? Um, I knew I wanted to pursue a higher education, and we, my foster mom and you know the resources helped put that in place. I, I graduated, and then I had you know a month or two or whatever off. And I, I remember um, the day leaving from my foster home. And maybe it's me overthinking it, but right right when we were getting ready to leave her home, um, it was just me and I only had a foster mom. There were no other siblings or she was a single parent foster mom, I guess you would say. But we were getting ready to leave and pull out. And before we could even get to the car, she asked for me to hand over the house key. And I, I'm kind of sensitive, so that kind of hurt my feelings. I was like, dang, like I'm going to give you a bag. We're barely walking out the door. But um, I you know, handed over the key and then we drove drove over to another city to go to my school and she dropped me off. Um, she made sure I had, you know, a few things for my dorm, which I shared. A, I had a roommate, but she dropped me off and that was pretty much it. I um, had to figure out a lot of things on my own. Um, I tell people at times, I feel like Google was my uh, or advisor or mentor or support person because I didn't have that one stable person there that I could always talk to. Um, mm. That day, I, you know, I pretty much got dropped off and kind of had to push forward on my own and problem solve a lot on my own. And I think that's kind of difficult, especially when you know if something happens, you don't really have anywhere to go back to. So I think that that was also a motivating factor for me, too. I, it's make this work or there's really no other option, no other good option if it doesn't work. So you said Google was your mentor, which can be confusing because Google has a lot to say about a lot of things. Yeah, and I had my son. I went to school um, and got like all my prerequisites done, and then I got pregnant with my son. And you know that was a I had to figure out a lot on my own. My mom had my mom passed away before I had my son, so I didn't have like a mom or aunt or cousin or someone to call and be like, hey, like, what do you do when you're preparing to have a kid or let someone have a baby shower for me? So I had to do a lot on my own. But I remember using Google a lot. I still use it today. Nothing wrong with using Google, but you can't really replace a real life person, someone who's been there and done that. But I would ask Google questions like, hey, when should my son know how to tie his shoes? Because I don't know. Nobody told me. So I have to ask Google. (laughs) Wow. Many of our listeners are foster care advocates. They are speaking up on behalf of kids. Uh, they have some ability to change things in their community for the kids that are there and for the families that are there. So while you can't go back and change some of the things that happened to you and some of the experiences you had, um, your perspective on what you would have liked to have seen done differently could help the rest of us do a better job for kids now. So what are, is there something that you just wish would have been different in your story? I would say, I remember at one point, um, I don't know how it happened, but I was, I think I had to see a psychiatrist or therapist, one of the two. And um, I was seeing her, uh, I saw her a few times and I was never really comfortable with her for whatever reason that may have been. But I didn't know that I had like an option to speak up and say that I wasn't really comfortable, which means that I could have got someone else. So I think all of us working with um, foster youth, um, make sure they know that they do have a voice and they do have an option when it comes to things like that. If they're not comfortable with something, encourage them and remind them to speak up. Like you don't have to deal with stuff that that you're not happy with um, to a certain extent anyways. And remind them you have a voice and it needs to be heard. Um, Another one would be for those um, foster youth with siblings. Um, 
I, I know CPS caseworkers are busy and they do try to have those visits with the youth, um, their siblings. Um, it doesn't happen as often as it should, but I think that would help out a lot. And I know my brother, if he was with me, I think that his behavior probably would have been better because I remember back in the day, like in school, I remember he got upset and I was always that one on his side and in his ear saying, it's going to be okay, like calm down. Um, Mm. But that's always a piece that's going to be missing and it hurts knowing that you can't see him when you want to see him. Do you see your brother now? We do see each other all the time, um, all the time. So after college, um, you ended up uh, becoming a caseworker. Yes. And... And now you've taken that uh, passion you have uh, for helping aging out youth navigate the world um, because of your own experience. Having having Google as your mentor uh, has put you in a position where you can actually connect aging out youth with mentors, uh, so they don't have to use Google <laughs> entirely. Yes. Uh, so tell us about tell us about that. Um, I, I, when I graduated college, um, <clears throat> I, I, you know, I always had a passion for young adults and very connected with current and former foster youth just because I've been there and I, I know how it feels to, to an extent because I experienced it and I seen how it affected my brother. But working with CPS even opened my eyes and my heart even more so because I saw several other youth um, and how it affected them. And at the end of the day, no matter which youth it was, they all wanted to go home. And there was always a piece missing. Um, there's this one particular young lady that stuck out to me. I went to go visit her because I, I worked mostly with the older youth. But I went to go visit her and we talked and everything was fine. And I was getting ready to leave because I had to um, fly back home. I had to go catch a flight and I didn't want to miss it. But um, with that said, she wanted to just she wanted me just to sit there and talk with her more. And it wasn't even about anything uh, specific. She just wanted to, in other words, hang out and have someone to chit chat with. And after after I had left. Um, and of course I was trying to connect her with a CASA advocate after that, but after I had left, that's when it, that was the reminder for me that those little things count so much that some of us and even myself at that time took for granted that, you know, it's very important to have that roof over your head and the clothing and food, but having someone that you could talk to and lean on and get advice from is just as important, um, especially as a young adult. Um, and that, that was my reminder, um, that, Sometimes everything looks fine, but there's more to it than, meet, than meets the eye anyways. So I think a lot of people, when they think about mentoring kids aging out of care, might have uh, maybe some misconceptions about what it is that young adults are looking for. Um, you know, I know sometimes the the instant reaction is, oh, well, you know, this young person, they need... You know, if we just get them in budgeting classes, then we'll we'll help them fix their finances. And you know, but what would you say are some of the primary things that young adults need from mentoring adults? I would say, of course, you know, the priorities of having like stable housing and employment are one of the most important things as well. But just sometimes they just want someone to listen to them. And then I I have a I have a mentee or a young adult that I mentor, and she. Like we talk and, you know, of course we talk about the priorities and all the, the grown up stuff, but we also talk about like personal things that's going on in her life with her family. Um, sometimes they just want to talk about other things besides like working and employment and, and looking for housing and things like that. Um, to think outside of the box sometimes with mentoring. Sometimes they, they it's not that they're looking for um, someone to tell them what they what to do or, or mom or stepmom or dad or whatever. They just want 
like another friend, in other words, someone who's been there and done that and someone who will share their life experiences with them, I think, is very beneficial and needed sometimes. Time is what you're really talking about. Somebody's willing to take. A little, yeah, a little bit of time. time. It means so much, like... And it's not so much as like them just going through like a rough time or a breakup, but sometimes like if they did just do really great at a job interview or if they did just get accepted into a college um, campus, they want someone to share that with. And if they don't have that, it's kind of, it's not as fun and it's not as good as of a enjoying moment if they don't have anyone to share that with and kind of give them that thumbs up or pat on the back because Google, I mean, it, I'm sure there's some kind of app that'll give you a thumbs up, but it's <laughs> <laughs> not the same. It's not the same as someone who genuinely cares and wants to, and who someone who has like their best interests in mind, like because we all we all need friends, so I think that's that's needed. Someone outside of their immediate circle, if they even do have that. The work you do now connecting young adults with mentors, uh, you're doing that through something called the Through Project. Tell us a little more about that. Yes, sir. Through Project is a mentoring organization. And what we do is we work with young adults who current or former foster youth, um, ages 16 and up. And what's special and unique about Through Project is that we do not have a age limit. So as long as they're at least 16, 15 and a half, and they want to have a support person, we will introduce them to one. And that's one of the most important things I think that is needed, especially in young adults' life, is stability and someone who's there that genuinely cares about their best interests. Someone who will be there to help them reach and connect connect to you know those services that they need. Um, that's the most important thing that Through Project does. So when you think about the kids that you interact with, the kids that you mentor, the kids mm-hmm. that you uh, are connecting others to, um, what's your dream for them? My dream is for them to be successful and happy. And and when I introduce them to their volunteer mentor at the end of the meeting, when I step away, it's not about me, but it does make me feel good. And it warms my heart knowing that I know that they don't got to call on Google. Like I know they have someone to talk to now, even if it's just a text message from their mentor saying, hey, how is it going? Do you need any help with anything? Um, that, that, that makes me feel good because I, I, I've been there before, but they feel like, like they don't have anyone. So that's where Through Project comes in. So your mom. Yes. And you have how many kids? I have two now. I have a, my son's getting ready to be five, and I have a 19-month-old daughter that I adore, both of them. So when you think about the experience you had, and you think about your kids, um, how does that impact your parenting? How does it impact how you Um, love them? Being raised by primarily my mother, my biological mother, that's... That's always remained like in my heart because all I remember from being with her is her hugging us, loving us, giving us kisses on the cheek and letting us know she's there for us. Um, so I I still that still remains in me and I share that with my kids. And I remember as a kid, I'm like, OK, mom, enough kisses. And I find myself doing the same thing that my mom used to do with me, um, just sharing that love with my kids. Um, I know what I don't want my kids to experience because of some of the things that I went through. So I always keep that in the back of my mind when when I when I make decisions and certain things I say and how I act, I'm a little more cautious because for the sake of my kids. So I'm a little I think I'm a little more aware because I don't want them to go through some of the things I went through. Jessica, uh, it's amazing to hear um, the things that you've you've gone through, but how you've turned those experiences into making such a significant, meaningful difference in the lives of 
of youth who are aging out of foster care. And you identify with those struggles, you have lived those struggles, and you can help connect them with a caring adult who uh, can help walk with them through that. And so, so grateful for you. Thanks so much for spending the time with us. Thank you. Wow, Jason, man, what a powerful interview with um, Jessica Francis, man. She has like a heart of gold, man, just to be able to give back to the foster youth um, and just connect them with mentorship, somebody that can mentor them through life experiences and things. Yeah, you know, what's powerful to me is to listen to her knowing that she had to resort to Google as a mentor herself when she Mm -hmm. aged out of foster care. But now she's made the decision to come back and to step into that void for so many others. Wow. Awesome. That's awesome. Awesome. So in light of what Jessica has shared here in this interview, we wanted to talk to somebody who is actively helping churches in her community and in her state uh, connect with kids who've aged out of foster care to help uh, individuals and families in that church become those kind of mentors and just find out some of the insights that she has. So we're going to uh, we're gonna go uh, to that interview right now. I have on the line with me Pam Parrish. Uh, she is the founder of Connections Homes. She is uh, the wife of what she says is the most handsome man on the planet uh, for the last 24 years and counting. Uh, She's the mom of eight daughters, five of whom came to them uh, after the age of 18. Uh, She is Nana to four spunky grandchildren, and she's a great foster care and adoption advocate. She's the author of the book, Ready or Not, a 30-day discovery for families growing through foster care and adoption. And we're so excited to talk to Pam about aging out youth and how we as members of churches can partner with these young people as they make that transition. Pam, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you, Jason. It's my pleasure. So, Pam, tell us a little bit about Connections Homes and why you started it. Sure. Well, Connections Homes, um, uh, we are in the Atlanta, Georgia area. We started three years ago. And you said in the intro that we have five daughters that came after the age of 18. And that was really the catalyst for Connections Homes is just realizing that there's all of these young adults out there with zero connections in their life, zero people to call um, when they run into a difficulty or want to celebrate a success, um, nowhere to go at Thanksgiving, no one calling them on their birthday. Um, and, you know, when I really started looking into the statistics in Georgia alone, I realized that, that we have a big problem and there weren't very many organizations out there saying it's not too late to have a stable connection in your life for these young people. And um, so that's basically what we do. We recruit and train individuals and families who will step into the story of a young adult who's beyond the age of 18 that's either um, aged out of foster care or homeless or otherwise without family. We don't really just focus on foster care, although most all of our kids have a foster care history. So um, we um, just train families to build relationship and come alongside these young people and, you know, be that person who answers their call and who helps them understand how to fix a flat tire or obtain a driver's license or cook spaghetti. So that's really what Connections Homes does. 
What would you say are some of the biggest misconceptions families come in with when they begin the training? Well, I think the biggest misconception is that these kids are 18 and they're adults. So therefore, that means they should be able to do all of this stuff. Um, And it's interesting because right before we got on this call, I was looking at our little support um, group on Facebook. And one of our moms said, you know, it just amazes me. My young man came to me at 18 not knowing how to obtain his driver's license, how to not fall for every Nigerian prince who emails him, um, how to really do well at a job interview or wash his clothes. And and she's just got this list of things that you you would think a a young person at 18 would know how to do. But, But when you've bounced around in foster care from home to home or group homes or whatever, you're really not taught how to do that. Um, I heard a young man say one time, like, you know, I reached 18 and I'm supposed to be independent but all of my life in foster care has only taught me how to be dependent. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the biggest misconception. So for our listeners, if someone's sitting there and saying, okay, I get it. I'm sold. I understand the need. I want to step into the lives of young people who are in this position. I want to help others in my church or in my community do the same. What are some of the very first practical steps that they need to take in order to do that? Well, I think that, you know, for us, one of the first practical steps would be to to find out who in your community is working with this population of young people. Um, Are there some independent living programs, transitional living programs, um, even homeless um, shelters and outreach programs that work with this population and get involved as a mentor and just um, get in, get into the life of a young person and be there for them. You know, for us, it, it boils down to relationship. We do all of the normal training that you would expect. We do touch on trauma and all of that stuff. But most of our training is about building relationship because that's what this is about. It's about um, I'm going to be there for you and become a friend and a trusted person in your life, you're inevitably going to meet a young person that you just connect with. So when it comes to uh, young people who have aged out of the system, and I'm sure you have a number of success stories, is there is there one particular story or, or one particular uh, family that comes to mind uh, that just amazes you at what God has done? Oh gosh, there's several. Um, th- there's there's a recent one. Um, five months ago, um, we were contacted by somebody about this homeless young man, um, history in foster care, raising his eight-month-old daughter alone as a single dad. He took responsibility for his daughter. And so um, he was referred into Connections Homes. We kind of did all the initial interviews And I had an amazing man that had come through training and who was also a single dad. So I just paired them up. And since that time in five months, um, John has got an apartment. Um, A lot of our Connections Homes family just got him everything from dish towels to silverware that he needs. Um, There's a ministry coming in to furnish his apartment. He's working. There's daycare for for Lainey, and she's about to turn a year old. And the relationship that I've seen develop between Mike, um, the um, man who stepped into 
John's story through Connections Homes, and John is amazing. Uh, John now calls Mike um, anytime he runs into anything from, I don't know how to make this macaroni and cheese to um, I'm having difficulty getting food stamps because I don't get off work in time. Can you um, come pick me up from work and take me? So I just think that that's the beautiful thing because I don't know what would have happened to John and Lainey without Mike stepping in. And it's all of those things that they seem so simple and we would do, we would naturally do for our kids, but to have someone who without the investment of these people would not have had that is just, it's beautiful. What I love about connections homes and what you guys do is, you know, so many people, when they think of young adults aging out of foster care or, or the homeless um, population for that matter, we often think in terms of physical resources. What do we do to provide the physical resources, the apartment, the dishes, the, you know, all of those things. Um, but what you do is, is you provide those things, but it's always, always, always in the context of relationship. Talk about the importance of that. Oh, absolutely. So, you know, one of the things like with the story I just told you about John and Lainey, you know, we uh, went out and our donor base and just people connected to us on Facebook, you know, bought things off of an Amazon list and it all came to Connections Homes. But Mike picked it up and Mike took it down to John's apartment and they put it up together because the more important thing that we're doing for John isn't the silverware and the silverware tray. It's the relationship with Mike and understanding that if John has a need, he, he can trust Mike to help meet that need. Um, and anytime John runs into difficulty or celebration, he can trust Mike. And we all know over a lifetime what that means. I can't tell you how many times I've called a grandmother, an aunt, or someone um, about a cooking tip or a marriage issue or, my goodness, and raising my own kids, how many times I've said, hey, I'm running into this and I'm not sure how to deal with it. And I can't imagine not having anybody to do that. So the most important thing we do is relationship. And the most important message that we send to our young people and to individuals and families with Connections Homes is this thing is about how you communicate with one another and that you can begin to trust each other over the course of time through doing things together, talking with one another and just showing up in life over and over and over. I love it that you're connecting people with these young adults and you are connecting the body of Christ and all of the things that the, the whole body can bring to the situation. Such a great picture of how the whole body plays a role. Mike has his role, but there's a whole body behind him uh, mm-hmm. helping him to establish and maintain that relationship. What you do is is beautiful. Thank you so much, Pam, for sharing with our audience, sharing with us um, the work that you do and helping us to do similar work in our own communities. Well, you're so welcome. It was definitely my honor, Jason. Wow, Diego, it's been so powerful to hear these different perspectives today on on the importance of walking with young adults who've aged out of foster care. Now, when when you made the transition from being in your foster home into adulthood, uh, you had people walking with you through that process, right? Right, right. Most definitely. Uh, of course, I've, I had my, my foster dad who stayed there with me the, the whole time uh, to mentor me, even when I was making 
um, bad choices, good choices, no matter what you know what it was. If I made a good choice, he said, you can always make this better. You can always do something better. And so I, and I thank God for that mentorship that I had with him and also his biological sons, you know, to help me walk through life as a, as a former foster kid, you know, and I think it put me in a position to be blessed. And so uh, just like Jessica, you know, a lot of people um, are, a lot of kids are not lucky to have that, that one home. Uh, you know, and they go through so much and they don't have that mentorship there. And, uh, and I know it, it really um, takes a pull on them through life, you know, without it being there, you know. So uh, I'm just thankful for Jessica. I'm thankful even for uh, her sharing her testimony and just um, putting the spotlight on mentorship for, for foster youth. Diego, I couldn't agree more. Well, we want to thank both of our guests, Jessica Francis and Pam Parrish, and we want to thank you for joining us. We'd really love to hear from you. Come find us on Facebook at the Foster Movement Podcast page and respond to our big, important question this week, otherwise known as our Big IQ. See what we did there? Our big, important question for this week is this. Who is a mentor that has had a huge influence on your life? Mention them on our Facebook page. Tell us what they've meant to you, and be sure to tag them as well be sure to add the hashtag Foster Movement Podcast. We want to be sure you know about our upcoming CAFO 2017 Summit in Nashville, Tennessee on May 3rd through the 5th. This year, we're doing something brand new on May 3rd. We're doing a pre-summit intensive that will focus on the stories of former foster youth and will help you apply their wisdom to the work you do in foster care. Diego Fuller will be there along with several other foster care alumni sharing their stories. To learn more about Summit and to get today's show notes, just go to fostermovementpodcast.org. That's fostermovementpodcast.org. Thanks for all you do to speak up for kids and families in foster care. We're here to help you do that. Until there's more than enough. This has been the Foster Movement Podcast. Join Jason Weber and Diego Fuller next time as they and their guests help you work with others to provide more than enough for kids and families in foster care where you live. Hey, this is Jason and Diego again. Yes, and we're still here because there's a couple of things that we want you guys to know. That's right. First of all, be sure to download the free PDF we created, especially for listeners of this podcast. It's called Key Things Former Foster Youth Want You to Understand About Caring for Current Foster Youth. This thing is beautiful and full of wisdom and insight from those who've been there. And I'm telling you, you need to print these babies out and give them to foster parents and applicants you work with because these things are amazing. Just go to morethanenoughtogether.org backslash free download. That's morethanenoughtogether.org backslash free download. Also, as you know, the Foster Movement Podcast is a limited series of just 18 episodes. But listen, it's okay. Don't be sad. Here's why. Because there's more where that came from. Tell them, Jay. That's right. More Than Enough has produced a whole family of podcasts, one of which is called the More Than Enough Podcast. So to learn more, go to morethanenoughtogether.org and click on the podcast link at the top of the homepage, and they are all there. Hey, and one last thing. Thank you for listening. It's a privilege to be a part of your journey. Our team is here to help you work with others in your community to provide for children and families before, during, and beyond foster care until there's more than enough.